We've uh, named this uh, uh, series Church in a City, and uh, we've been looking at it passage by passage from the book of First uh, Corinthians. Paul is writing uh, in response to some of the issues and questions the church had raised to Paul. That's why we see in the last line, if you notice, he is saying uh, other issues, I'll come and I'll deal with it in person, right? So he's sending this letter uh, ahead of his uh, uh, arrival. And uh, we are in the section of the First Corinthians where we are talking about different issues in the church, in terms of the church order. And especially we are uh, going to look at uh, the issues surrounding the Lord's Supper, right? Now, there are two ordinances or sacraments that Jesus has given uh, to the church to be uh, followed. One is baptism. Baptism is where we get into the water and we come out of the water, uh, uh, symbolically representing how Jesus died for our sins and he rose again. Uh, and uh, we publicly display our faith. Uh, when you believe in Jesus, it is not a private faith. It is something that we publicly tell people. We are not ashamed of him. We come and tell people that we belong to Jesus. And one of the first steps we take after we accept Jesus is to walk uh, into the waters of baptism. Uh, and that is something Jesus instituted. Second uh, is uh, yeah, the thing that Jesus instituted is the Lord's Supper. It's the, the Lord's table, right? where we have the bread and the cup that symbolizes the new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ. And it is also through the new covenant, Jesus establishes a new community of people, right, who are by faith. And uh, every time we participate in this, uh, it is a sign of a union with Christ, but not only, not only a sign of a union, but, but it assures us of our union with Christ, right? Uh, and that's why it is also called communion, which is spiritual fellowship with uh, God and with others. Now, the Lord's Supper can, uh, sometimes uh, we have different views on the Lord's Supper. We, some, some people are afraid to come and participate in the Lord's Supper, right? And I was just talking to somebody just in the last service, uh, and they were saying how uh, they, <laughs> this person uh, was in a church where uh, they were so afraid of the pastor, right? They were so afraid of the pastor that they would not participate in the communion, right? Why? Because there's some fear, right? They're afraid of something, right? Uh, and, I, and I've heard this often, right? People are afraid to be part of the Lord's Supper, so they don't take it, right? Out of fear. And I want you to know, hopefully, by the end of the sermon, you need to understand this is an invitation by Jesus to those who belong to Jesus. And it's a lovely, wonderful experience to come and participate, to say, yes, I belong to Jesus. There need not be fear. You don't have to be afraid of the pastor. You don't have to be afraid of anybody, right? Uh, this is instituted by Jesus for those who belong to him. Uh, some of us, uh, maybe sometimes we take it too casually. We don't think about it, right? And it's, uh, it becomes, and that's why we do it in New City. We do it once a month so that uh, we don't lose the sacredness of it and the reverence of it. Uh, but we do it once a month so that it's not, we don't do it like once in six months or something so that we kind of remember this. Uh, and so uh, we do this. So we, we don't want to take it casually, right? Uh, and some of us have the habit of just coming only for the Lord's Supper, Right, we, we have to kind of understand some of these things, right? So we, today we're going to look at uh, how do we approach the Lord's Supper with reverence, right? The title of the sermon is Reverence uh, Toward the Lord's Supper, right? And uh, this morning I want to place five things to you, five ways to look, five ways to notice, five things to look uh, when we approach the Lord's Supper. Firstly, firstly, the first is you look back, you look back. Okay, let's see, see what that is. Verse 23. Verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed uh, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper connects you to something that happened in the past. It connects you. You look back. It connects you with something that happened in the past, which is basically what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Right? So every time we come and we participate in the Lord's Supper, we look back to what Christ has accomplished on the cross. But really understand the significance of what Jesus has done, what he has instituted. We need to go back into the history of the children of Israel. Right? And uh, uh, when we go back and we see the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt, uh, and uh, they, they were uh, often want to be set free, and they're crying to God, but Pharaoh is not letting them go. And so God sends Moses uh, to speak on his behalf and on behalf of the people. And Moses comes and approaches Pharaoh, and he urges him to let the people go. Uh, but Pharaoh keeps changing his word, and God sends plagues as a form of judgment upon the nation of Egypt uh, to uh, help him understand what God is doing. And then we see in Exodus 12, the last plague. The last plague comes. It's the angel of death that God sends, uh, and which is going to destroy the families of Pharaoh and Egypt. And I, I want to step back and kind of understand this, because there's a, sometimes we think of some of these incidents in Scripture where there is judgment that comes, and there's things that happen to massive numbers of people. Thousands of people die. There's an earthquake, or there's a fire that comes, all kinds of stuff that comes, and Sometimes even nations are destroyed in scripture, right? And we wonder what is happening? Why is this a God who is, is he angry? What's happening, right? I want to understand, we, we, we have a God who is holy and just and he's going to judge sin. There is going to be a judgment day where God is going to judge all wickedness and all sin, right? We see this in Revelation. We see this in scripture. There is a day appointed where God is going to judge in Christ all the wickedness of people and nations. Sometimes that judgment reserved for the end of time shows up in history. Why? Because the wickedness of nations and people is so large that God sometimes brings this judgment into history. Or when you see the Noah's flood, when you see some of these incidences, it is that judgment that is reserved for the end of time showing up in history because of the wickedness of nations. Okay? The same way we look at the miracles of Jesus, right? And in the end, Jesus says, you're going to be transformed and you're going to be like me. I'm going to change everything. There's not going to be any hunger or crying. There's not going to be sickness or death. I'm going to restore all things. So that is going to happen at the end of time when the kingdom comes. But when Jesus is on earth, some of those things show up in history. So when the blind, they are blind and suddenly they're able to see. Right? The, the, the food is multiplied and everybody is eating. The resurrection happens. All of those things are happening which is reserved for the end of time. But sometimes the miracles happen to say that how in an instant you're going to be changed. Right? So this is how we approach some of these passages. So here we, we see uh, the judgment of God comes through the angel of death on Egypt and Pharaoh. But how, is the, how are the children of Israel spared from this judgment? Is it because they are, oh, they are, they are Israel so they are spared? Is it because they, uh, they, somehow, uh, they are okay and they have a special preference before God? No. They are equally sinful equally wicked. So how can God uh, spare them and judge, uh, uh, judge the, uh, the Egyptians? God makes a provision. God makes a provision. 
for his people. God says, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to slay the lamb. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and uh, sprinkle it on your doorposts. Okay? And in the night, I want you to stay at home and I want you to eat the lamb as a meal. And when the angel of death comes and it sees the blood of the lamp on your doorpost, the angel moves on. It will pass over. Right? That's the Passover meal. So on that night, when God is judging uh, uh, Egypt, uh, the children of Israel, by faith, in responding to what God has done, the provision he's making, it is not that the lamb, the blood of the lamb is <laughs> going to save them. No, it is God who says, you do this, I'm going to do something. You do. So when they... Uh, put the blood on the lamb and they eat the meal. On that night, the angel of death passed over them. And the children of Israel were protected and saved. Right? And God tells Moses, make this a memorial. Do this across generations so that you will remember how God saved you from slavery. Okay? Now, this is the background. Now, Jesus, along with his disciples, is celebrating the Passover meal on that night. Okay, in this particular night, I want to read from uh, Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 verse 14, uh, Jesus, it says, And when the hour, had, uh, hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Right, so uh, this is the context. Right, so Jesus is having the bread and, and he wants to eat the meal with them. Now the way they celebrate the Passover meal the way the Israelites celebrate the Passover meal is that they have the lamb at the center, right? And they have some bitter herbs. They eat along so that that uh, talks about, uh, that uh, symbolizes the hardship they experience as well. They have unleavened bread uh, that, that symbolizes purity from sin or even the haste by with which they ate the bread that night. Uh, they have a, a cup of wine. So they, this is the meal. It's a proper meal, Right? But at this instant, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with the disciples, Jesus goes off script. He does something else different, right? What, when you read the Gospels, one part of the meal is missing. Do you know what is missing? The lamb was missing. There is no lamb. Why is the lamb missing? Is it because Jesus forgot about the lamb? Is it because Jesus could not get the lamb? No, but Jesus was telling everyone that he is fulfilling what has told in Isaiah 53. Right? He is actually fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah 53 where the Messiah will be led like a lamb, like a lamb he will be led to the slaughter. When John the Baptist calls out Jesus uh, to Jesus says, "Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." So Jesus in some ways reminding the disciples, "You you don't need any lamb to to be sacrificed anymore. You don't need to make any more sacrifices. You don't need any more shedding of the blood. I am the lamb of God who's going to take the sins of the world. This is me." And Jesus goes off script. Usually what they say is they take the bread and they say, point to the bread and says, this is the bread of affliction and suffering. But Jesus changes it and Jesus says, holds the bread and he says, this is the bread of my affliction and my suffering. And he takes the cup and he says, this is uh, the new covenant in my blood. He completely changes the Passover. Now what Jesus is doing is, all this while, all the sacrifices... All the rituals, all the cleansing, all the dietary things in the law, all the kings and prophets and priests, all the judges, 
Everybody, Jesus said, all of them are pointing to me, the true king, prophet, priest, and judge. That is what's happening. He's the Lamb of God. Jesus is saying, I've not just come to set you free from Egypt. I've not just come to, come to set you free from political and social and economic issues. No, I've come to set you free from the ultimate enemy of sin and death itself. So when we hold the Lord's Supper, we look back, we remember, we remember what Christ has done. And my friends, I want you to understand, we have all fallen short. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are enemies of God. We are orphaned spiritually, rebellious before God, under God's judgment because he's holy and righteous. There is no way you can make it to God through your own efforts, through good intentions, just trying to do something. There is absolutely no way. Our righteousness, your good works are filthy before God because he is so holy. He's infinitely holy. So how can this gap be bridged? How can we approach a holy God? This is where Jesus, my friend, Jesus came to pay for your sins once for all. Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice accepted by God once for all. You don't need to do this again and again. Jesus satisfied the righteous wrath of God once for all. Jesus did the perfect work of salvation on your behalf once for all. You are forgiven by faith once for all. Saved, redeemed and delivered once for all. Christ has defeated sin and death once for all. This is what Jesus has accomplished for you. So in the Lord's Supper, it says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance the Lord's Supper, we remember, we look back and remember what Christ has done. Secondly, we not only look back, we look forward. We look forward. Verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the, drink the cup, you proclaim. Uh, so, sorry, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? So you not only look back at what Christ has done, you look forward to the return of Christ. You, you cannot remember, if you don't remember, you, you cannot proclaim what you don't remember. So you remember and you proclaim. So the Lord's Supper is a picture of the gospel of grace. When we participate in the Lord's Supper, we proclaim this gospel. Every time we hold the cup and we hold the bread, we proclaim this gospel that Jesus died for our sins and that he will return one day. We, we proclaim the good news about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. We also proclaim the good news of his return one day, which is sure and certain. As real as the cup is, as real as the bread is, Jesus' promise to return is real. It is real. He is going to return one day so that we can be with him forever. This is what scripture says in Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is real. The Lord's Supper points to a time when every tear is wiped away. When your deepest longings are fulfilled in him. 
when your emptiness is gone, when your body is completely healed, when you are in eternal rest and unspeakable joy fills your life, every wrong is set right. So when you hold the Lord's Supper, you look forward in anticipation and expectation of the return of Christ. That's why the angel says in Revelation 19, blessed are those who are invited, oh, invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when we hold the elements, God is telling us, I'm committed to you. I'm committed. I'm committed to you that one day, just as you hold the bread and the cup, this is like the starter. It's like the starter before the main meal. I'm committed to you that I will make sure you show up in the great banquet, in the messianic banquet. So we not only look back, we look forward, but we also look around. We look around, right? Look at verse 17. Verse 17, it says, when you come together, verse 29, it says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, it can mean the body of Christ. The body of Christ is also the community of God's people. So uh, it, it is both Christ and a plural, right? In a sense. So he says, you look around, you discern the body. Verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together, the Lord's Supper connects you as an individual to the body of Christ, to the community of God's people. Right? It, it connects us uh, with union and with unity. It is a community meal. Back then, in the first uh, century church, when they did this, it was, a, it was a full meal. People would bring their food. Uh, it was a kind of a climax of the worship uh, service, and they would sit and they would actually eat a full meal. Right? That is the context. It's a sharing of the meal. It's a sign of their union in Christ and their unity in Christ. It is a sign of a common confession that yes, we believe in Jesus. Right? And they, and they participated in it jointly together. And this is why Paul is not happy because of what was happening in the Corinthian church. Right? In verse 21, he says, for an, for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry and another gets drunk. So what's happening in that church is because of class divisions, because there are some who are rich and some who are poor, and they, and they come and bring the meal, and the, and, the, and the rich eat their food, and they get plenty, and they, and they are full, whereas there are others in the body who are not able to eat, and they are poor, and they are left hungry. Right? And, and they don't care about each other. They had no concern for each other. They didn't wait or respect each other. They've completely missed what Jesus and the gospel is telling us. So Paul is livid. He says, look around the body of believers. You share this meal with each other. This is not an individual meal. That's why we don't do this alone. Uh, that is why we don't do this online. We, we don't, uh, during the pandemic, we refrain from doing it online. Why? Because we, some of these scripture, we understand this as, it is the gathering of God's people. This is not something I do with my own family. So when we hold the Lord's Supper, we not only look back at what Jesus has done, we not only look forward to his return, we look around to see our mission. The family God has placed us in, our responsibilities. It is a reminder for us to love one another, to serve one another, to honor one another, to put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. That we know that we are part of God's family. It is a reminder of our responsibilities for each other. 
you look back, you look forward, you look around. Fourthly, you look within. You look within. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Now this, this is a scary passage. This is uh, telling us how we need to take the Lord's Supper seriously. This is not something we take casually. So some of us, and uh, we would be, oh man, this is why I don't take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we are like, uh, we're like, I don't want to take it. Right? We are scared of the Lord's Supper. No, my friends, you don't have to be afraid. There's nothing to fear here. Well, if you have sin, if there is something in your heart that is, <laughs> that is not right with God, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for you to come and confess your sin before God so that He can forgive your sins. Right? This, is not, this is not something that you need to do when you are perfect, when everything in your life is going well. No, my friend, that is not how we look at sin. We are sinners by nature. And we are not becoming worthy because we live in a certain way. No, we become worthy because of what Christ has done. This is his table. He invites those who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. But in this context, Paul is saying, verse 18, he's saying there are divisions among you. And we've seen this through the Corinthian passage. There are divisions. There are, people have egos and there are cliques and there are favorites and they have unresolved conflicts and there are distinctions people are making in class and all these culture and stuff like that. And so when they participate in this meal, Paul is saying, your life is contradictory to the gospel. Your, your life is not in line with the gospel. If you live in sin and you have bitterness toward each other, you are unable to forgive people, you have pride in your heart, uh, when you willfully disobey God, when you defy the prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life, my friend, that is a posture of being unworthy before God because you, you defy what God is doing and what He is doing in your life. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, Living in sin, when we come to the Lord's Supper, constantly disobeying what we know God is, says to be true. When that is our posture, my friend, that you, the Lord's Supper doesn't become a blessing for you, but it becomes a meal of judgment in some way. Because we dishonor and we disrespect and we defy who Christ is. And because he loves us, I want you to understand this. It is because he loves us. It is because you belong to him. And when you have a posture of sin like that, it is because God loves us, he is going to allow certain circumstances in your life to wake you up. He's going to allow certain circumstances to help us understand who God is. To, to help us figure out our sin and to confess our sin. He's going to allow certain things into our lives. And Paul says, hey, it can also include sometimes, I, I don't know how, but it includes, hey, this is why some of you are weak. Some of you are ill and some of you have died. Right? Why? Because instead of going on in sin and end up in destruction, God intervenes and protects your soul by allowing certain things to happen in your life. It is not because he hates you. 
It is actually because he loves you. Who God loves, he disciplines. This is not a punishment. I don't want you to think it's punishment. Jesus has taken all your punishment upon himself. This is the loving discipline of God. This is the discipline of God. This is not contradicting Romans 8.1 which says there's no condemnation for you in Christ. When it says there's no condemnation for you in Christ, it doesn't mean you can just live however you want. This doesn't mean you lose your salvation. No, my friends, every time we come to the Lord's Supper, this is why, this is why you have to participate in the Lord's Supper. This is why God says, Jesus says, as often as you do it, you remember me. Why? Because if there is sin, if my posture is disobedient to God, the Lord's Supper is going to remind me. It's a reminder. Ranjit, you got to confess. You got to mend your ways. Right? The solution is not to run away from the Lord's Supper. <laughs> That's not the part. No, the solution is to take the Lord's Supper and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. So we don't take the Lord's Supper lightly. And we also talk about this, right? We, every time we share the Lord's Supper, we tell, the, we tell people, those who have accepted Jesus and those who belong to him, those who have uh, admitted their sins and they received Jesus as Savior, right? They're, they're standing before Christ is that he is their Savior and Lord. And there is no ambiguity in that. We, we invite the, the Lord's table is for people who made that commitment. So if anybody is here uh, during that time who is not made that decision, you should refrain from the Lord's Supper. For this specific reason, we are trying to protect you, right? Not, not to refrain you from something that is good. No, to protect you. Because this is something, when you don't do it in a way that Christ honors Christ, it is, it is not going to turn out a blessing for you. It's going to turn out a judgment for you. And the simple way to understand is, uh, like the, the emblem, it's an emblem, it's a symbol. Think of a flag, flags of nations, right? You don't trample the Indian flag. You don't put it under your feet. You don't go to another country and just uh, burn the flag. No, you don't do those things. You respect the flag because it's a symbol of the nation. When the anthem is played, the national anthem, whether your country or some other country, you stand up for the anthem, right? If it's your anthem, if you go to another country and they're playing their anthem, you still, out of respect for that nation, you stand up. Right? And that's the same thing. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you respect and you honor. You understand the significance. You discern the significance of the body. So you look within. You look within. You don't look at others. You don't look at others. You look within. When you look back at what Christ has done, when you look forward to His coming, right? when you look around people, and then you look within to see, am I? How is my heart before God? Lastly, you look up. You look up. The Lord's Supper connects you with God. In, in, a, in a mysterious way. It is not just symbol. It is not just a bread and cup. No, it has a spiritual significance to it. Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus says, this cup is my, the new covenant in my blood. In some way, Jesus, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are participating with Jesus himself. In the early church, uh, people would accuse the early church that, of, uh, that they were cannibals because of verses like this. Historically, that's the way they've seen. They thought, oh man, they're, they're eating flesh and they're drinking blood. And so they would, they would uh, think it's a cult or something. 
right? No, this is not literal. Jesus is not cutting his piece of body and giving. No, this is not. This is bread and cup. But it symbolically means something, right? The body points to the, uh, the bread points to the body of Jesus that was broken for us, for our sins. The, the, blood, the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. So when we hold the elements, we look up. Oh, we look up to see that we are forgiven because of what Christ has done. You don't look up condemned by God. You don't have to fear God. You look up in freedom. You look up and see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you as the great high priest. Oh, you look up and and you look for nourishment and strength from Jesus through the power of the Spirit. You look up to receive His grace and forgiveness. You look up with gratitude and joy for God's eternal provision and protection. Oh, you look up and you are filled with confidence and hope because of God's eternal power and presence in your lives. When you hold the Lord's Supper, my friends, you, how do I do it reverentially? How do I do it reverentially? You look back and you remember. Oh, you remember. You look forward and you anticipate. You look around to see where you belong. God has put you as part of his family. You look within and you confess sin and you look up and you receive Christ as your nourishment and sustainer of life. This is a picture of the gospel. For those who have accepted Jesus, this portrays and proclaims good news that our salvation is in Christ. Oh, when we participate, it proclaims that we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by anything else apart from the work of Christ. For those who, are, who have not accepted Jesus, it can still become good news for you. Because it is good news that you can be saved. Oh, you can be accepted by Jesus. You can be forgiven. You don't have to pay money. You don't have to... You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to climb any mountain. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is come and admit that you are a sinner and accept Jesus as your savior. You recognize who Christ is. You repent of your sin and you accept him. My friend, then you are gloriously saved by Jesus. So it is good news that you can be saved. And in some way, all of us Look forward to a seat at the table with Jesus our King at the great banquet. Let's pray. Father, once an enemy, but now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. We thank you for what you have done. I pray for anyone here who hasn't accepted you. I pray, Lord, that they will heed to your invitation to come to the table. That they will be able to sense your spirit drawing them to the Father. That they will be able to see their sin and confess their sin. And see who Jesus is, our Savior and Lord. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will work you will speak, you will convict. I pray that even in our own experience, we will enjoy worshipping you through the Lord's Supper.
And every time we come, it'll be something that has deep meaning. It'll be something that deeply encourages us. Help us. In your name I pray. Amen.